Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. The rooms hummed, a whisper in his ears, climate control, cycling and breathing, necessary for a medical clinic housed in the basement of a church. The doctor joked that he and his staff worked from the underground up, and it was funny to him sometimes. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Amy Grace Lloyd about her new novel, The Pain of Pleasure, set mostly in a headache clinic for migraine sufferers. The characters are at varying places in their journey to live lives with chronic, sometimes debilitating pain. Mrs. Adele Watson, a widow who funds the headache clinic, is herself a sufferer. Her obsession with Sarah, the patient who disappeared, borders on sickness of its own. But the doctor who runs the clinic is also unable to stop thinking of this woman. Mrs. Watson hires Ruth, a nurse with a difficult past that leaves her with few employment opportunities. And Ruth's job, in addition to tending to patients, is to spy on the doctor for Mrs. Watson. Then a hurricane batters New York. There seems to be way more pain than pleasure in most of these characters' lives. But they continue striving. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, hey, Galit. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. I understand that some of your personal struggle with migraine headaches inspired parts of the novel. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I've had them since I was really young. And um, what's what was really interesting to me about migraine is that they don't really know uh, what causes it. And there's really not a cure for it. As a good neurologist will tell you, you can treat it, but you can't uh, cure it. Not yet. Anyway, there's some wonderful new remedies out there. CGRP antagonists. So for me, it was about uh, the mystery of the body of pain um, and about how we cope with pain, uh, what remedies are right for you, what are not. Uh, and it led me into brain science um, and all of the wonders and even limitations of neurology uh, today. Um, so 
it's not a necessarily a migraine novel, but it was wonderful, although it's a lot about migraine and headache, but it was wonderful metaphoric territory for me because it can derange, it can hurt, um, you have to overcome it, all the ways in which being human uh, work on us. Uh, so for me, again, irresistible territory for, uh, for the novel. Fascinating. This novel is about so many things, and I, we're not going to be able to get to all of them in this one, you know, one interview. But there's a huge storm, a hurricane that takes place, and um, that closer to the closer to the end. But you describe wild shifts and barometric pressure that tests sensitive systems of people who never had headaches before, who never saw treatments. They came in like refugees. Can you yeah. say more? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I wrote, started writing this before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, it, it occurred to me, all these people were getting COVID and their body uh, body structures were, their body chemistries were being changed. Um, you can have an inherited um tendency toward migraine, but you can also get it in the course of your life due to triggers or hormonal changes. Um, our bodies change over time. Every seven years cellularly, we're, we're enormously different. One of the triggers for a lot of illnesses, allergies, headaches, um, pains in the body is the weather, humidity, barometric pressure shifts, as you said. We have such sensitivity to the external weather that triggers all kinds of things in our internal weather. Um, and every day more so, when I started writing this book, our weather had not become dis so decidedly unpredictable. It was starting and we knew it was going in this direction. So it's really about how do we manage our body sensitivities in a world that is so unpredictable, where, where bodies, our internal weather can be as unpredictable as the external weather. And how do we cope with that? How do we find support for that? Um, and how, how deranging it can be and how in these altered states do we make sense of our reality? when our reality can feel extraordinarily surreal. Mm -hmm. um, one of the main characters is referred to as the doctor. Can you say <laughs> a bit about the doctor and what is he doing to help his patients at this headache clinic where the story takes place? Yeah, you know, his I almost never named him, but his name is Dr. Lewis Berger. I almost didn't because his being a doctor sort of consumes him. His sense of duty is so important and it drives him to the extent that he even does not allow himself to engage with desire or fully be, you know, a human man because he wants to solve this problem that is uh, you know, again, migraine doesn't have a cure. You can only treat it. And that's another reason why I, I again, wanted to explore it, as I mentioned earlier, because he's driven to find an answer to this mystery in the brain, right? Why is the brain doing this? And one of the things that I find so extraordinary about him and made me love him is um, he's a big fan of Oliver Sacks. So he's read everything about how, how, how much each of us are are really our own universes biologically. But what I love about him is that he's he's gonna keep trying to solve it and gets how subjective each of our experience of pain is. It, it, from the emotional part of pain to the physical part of pain. I mean, one of the great things about uh, talking about uh, headaches is we all kind of know about them and they're metaphoric. It can be emotional pain. And indeed, emotional pain can cause a migraine or another kind of headache. All of 
of us know about stress headaches. So in his case, he wants to treat each patient um, for who they are. And so he's looking at their subjective experience. Um, and that's what I think we all kind of need to do when we show up with pain. We need to hear each other. We need to, and he believes in the community that can come with pain. The headache clinic is in the basement, as you guys heard at the top of the of this interview, in the basement of a church, not a sacred space, but can feel like a sacred space because it's where people are showing up to recognize and to give voice to wow, being human can really hurt. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he, gets, he gets that better than most. Um, can you talk about your title, The Pain of Pleasure? Oh, God, yes. I mean, I think even if you're not a headache sufferer of one stripe or another, we all know that certain kinds of pleasure, whether it's drinking or staying up too late or, or, or you know, getting into bed with the wrong person uh, can cause some pain. So you have to decide. It's like a profit and loss statement. Wow, if I do this, how much pain do I want to be in? And that that's definitely true of migraines. There's any number of uh, marvelous men and women I talk about. They're like, oh, God, just a glass of red wine. I mean, Galit, if it were up to me, I would marry Pinot Noir and run away with it. But the truth is, <laughs> is that my brain does not uh, does not much appreciate my engaging with red wine, whether it's the sulfites or the histamines in the wine. There's a host of things which I discuss in the book. Indeed, there's a, a woman, Mrs. Adele Watson. She loves red wine and um, she'll drink it anyway because the pleasure of it is so important to her. And again, like we all have to decide what pleasures make us feel alive. And what pleasures are worth the pain? Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, uh, Ruth, who interviews with Mrs. Watson for a job, says, and what if we don't reach for that pleasure anymore? What does it mean? Do we dry up and blow away like, you know, dried leaves? It It is a constant conversation with ourselves about what makes life worth it for each of us. So why does Mrs. Watson... Why does she fund the headache clinic? Well, she's a migraine sufferer herself. Uh, She is a woman who believes there's kind of nothing she can't do or solve. And I love her for her willfulness. She's very strong. Um, She meets the doctor and hears about him and thinks this can be the answer, not just for migraine sufferers or headache sufferers in general, but also for her because she's in love with the doctor. So by getting this clinic not very far from her house, it's set in an old church, she's got him on hand. Um, she's got him at her beck and call. She had a, a pretty rocky marriage in which during which and in which her husband cheated on her pretty constantly. So here's this devoted, responsible man filled with solutions uh, at her beck and call. So it's kind of it's kind of a dream for her. Uh, you know, if she's going to drink that beautiful wine, she knows someone's going to come and solve it for her. She's kind of a little bit obsessed with him, actually. And obsession, I think, is one of your themes. Can Do you see a connection between pain and obsession? Oh, gosh, absolutely. I, I, I think that people who are in pain are obsessed about not being in pain. They're obsessed about what's going to solve it. How am I going to get to that other side uh, where I'm like other people, um, where I'm going to be free? Um also with love, if only this person will love me, this will solve everything. Uh, again, it's really obsession is really tied into our sense of what will cure a remedy or put things right for us. Um, and I think we're all chasing certain ideals or standards or 
or you know our own perfectionism uh, driven visions of things um and upset it, it's easy for it to get obsessive and for things to to loop and loop just for that sense of if only if only i could be on that other side yeah. Um, so what exactly is the doctor doing in the clinic that makes it special? What What is he doing to help his patients? Yeah. I mean, I talked about it a bit earlier, but it's 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 really that he wants to treat, you know, he says to, he has a missing patient and she leaves the journal behind, as you know, and um, she, he, he, that he was not able to help her before she disappeared is partly what is preoccupying him. So he digs in deeper with his current patients in listening more and hearing more and also helping them to feel they're not alone in this pain. So they're not driven to extremes as Sarah was in a very, uh, in, a, in an erotic relationship with a married man. She was driven to some extremes because she thought he was the answer to what might solve her pain and her loneliness. Um, so the doctor is trying to kind of be in a kind of attempt at revisionist history to solve these patients' problems, really getting deep into what might help them. And he says there's no more vivid experience for the brain than pain, but there's one that comes close and it's joy. So not only is he dealing with their their very subjective experiences, but what they can do to surround themselves in their brain in the experiences that will trigger positive neurotransmitters, right? The the serotonin, the dopamine, the oxytocin. He even talks at length about uh, oxytocin being our bonding chemical and uh, the one that in orgasm, because you t there's a lot of discussion about sex from a scientific point of view to a very intimate, sensual point of view, um, oxytocin bonds us to our partners and women have more receptors for it than men so that we're bonded to our partners and we'll make children, uh, we'll perpetuate the species. And he, he talks about this in a kind of mournful way because he wishes that he could have gotten Sarah to understand as she went off into this erotic territory with this man, like, look, like your body's telling you that this is the cure for you, but your body's also misleading you to some extent. So again, he's digging in with the patients about what, what positive things can help them, but also warning them, look, you know, pain becomes a habit for the brain. How do we break this habit? And he's, you know, he's getting in there with all that he's learned with his, with Oliver Sacks, with other great scientists with whom he's connected uh, intellectually and trying to see if he can solve this. Is this a mystery that he can solve? Are we to understand Sarah's purpose in leaving the diary for the doctor after she disappears? Yes. I, I mean, I think what she's hoping is that he'll understand because he wants to so desperately. He's such a sensitive man. He's really trying to be as good a human as he can be uh, in this age where we're talking about all of these men who are not um, mindful of where their impulses, where their desires may be leading them. This man is overly sensitive to those things in himself. He's trying to constantly outrun the monster in himself and and really the 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 darkness in all of us. He's trying somehow to wield this for his patients. And I think Sarah left it for him so that he could understand her better and understand these mechanisms better. Unfortunately, what it does, because he's so dutiful and he's so responsible, is that it 
preoccupies him terribly in terms of how he failed her. Uh, it preoccupies him terribly in terms of his own desire, because after all, Galit, he's a man, he's a human. Mm-hmm. We're all human. We all have desire and we can try to outrun our impulses and desires. But I bet, as you well know, being a student of literature and music, outrunning our own impulses and desires doesn't always lead to the most positive outcomes. <laughs> true, true. Um, place is extremely important to the story. Can you talk about the uh, Brooklyn Church whose base in whose basement the clinic is housed? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, one of the things I was noticing living in Brooklyn uh, and it was happening all over New York City. It's happening in Queens. I know a great deal because there's so many churches in Queens. These churches are being abandoned by their congregations and they're being turned into commercial spaces. And that's what Mrs. Watson has in mind for this beautiful church. It's based, in fact, on a real church that I used to walk to on Strong Place in Brooklyn. And I remember when I was freelance editing and working out of my little tiny apartment in Brooklyn Heights, I would walk to this church just this sad, lonely place, except for a daycare in its basement. And I would hear these joyful noises from the basement and how they contrasted with this lonely upstairs part of the church that, you know, one has to assume used to be filled with with parishioners or congregationalists. It was a Baptist church. So I began to imagine, wow, like, Often when I was walking, I might have been recovering from a headache. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place that someone like me with headaches, with aches and pains could go and find a community, could go and find a clinic um, that was, in fact, a little more than a clinic with, you know, get a nap and a cup of juice like those little kids were getting. And between the headaches deranging me a little, this church um, that soon became beautiful condos, by the way, like completely unaffordable for the likes of me, a writer and an editor. Um, So my visiting it before it was condos and then seeing these gorgeous condos afterward, um, just beautiful with stained glass windows. It just also, just like the migraines, seeing this church and churches really all over Brooklyn being transformed into both office and and, um, housing spaces. I thought, wow, this is fascinating how we take sacred spaces and claim them. And in my case, in this book, I think it's still a sacred space because here people are coming to be healed, however they can be, even just in community with other people who are feeling um, like they really need some healing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about Ruth. Her story is heartbreaking. What did you want the reader to think about her? Yeah, Ruth is a fascinating character to me because she's come from New England to New York City. She's no fan of New York City's, but she um, 
is running from a bad marriage and she got let go from her job because she did something. She's a nurse and she did something fairly uh, uh, desperate, but for her very human Um that that got her fired um so she needs money she needs uh, not to be where she was anymore she's in exile essentially so she's very vulnerable to the likes of mrs watson this very beautiful very rich woman and i wanted you in ruth to see someone who's vulnerabilities were such they're not physical but they're definitely emotional um made her more susceptible to um manipulation to seduction very seduced by a city she's not used to very seduced by this powerful woman mrs watson you know kind of a magnificent piece of will kind of a narcissist fascinating narcissist um and seeing how she gets pulled into this ecosystem both within the clinic as a nurse who wants to help people and both by this powerful woman ruth herself wants to find her own power again right she wants to get back on her feet she needs money she needs a job and i think all of us feel at some point in our lives desperate all of us, whether we're willing to admit it or not, you know, we're Americans, so we have a hard time sometimes admitting to our vulnerabilities and desperation. But um, Ruth doesn't have any choice. She's got to get back to work. She's got to make money. And she is seduced by Mrs. Watson. Hmm. What's going on with Mrs. Watson's relationship with her son? Wow. Yeah, boy, I think we all can recognize something of that in ourselves as mothers and aunts, uh, partners. Um, I think they're each trying to get loved and be seen by the other one, but they're each also trying a little bit to control the relationship, especially Mrs. Watson, the mother. And her son is part of his rebellion basically says, you know, I'm not going to be any one thing. I'm going to be who I want to be. And she says to Ruth at one point, my son just refuses. Uh, he's an artist. He's he's a businessman. Then he's none of these things. He's straight. He's gay. Uh, Orson is a, is his own kind of shapeshifter. Um, and I think when you have a mother who's as strong and as controlling as Adele Watson is, it's a little bit understandable that he's once at once very creative as she is and ingenious and interesting, but but also um, wily. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. These characters all seem like people in your, you know, that are in your close circle. Who amongst them spoke to you the most? Wow. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, um, in some ways, the, uh, Ruth, Sarah and the doctor speak to me um a lot and still are speaking to me, even after I finished it and it's out as a book. I think uh, the doctor in some ways really moves me just because he won't give up on trying to solve what may be unsolvable. Um, Ruth in her desperation and her loneliness speaks to me only because um, I've seen people, I've even felt this way in exile, unsure as an editor and a writer in a world that where publishing is is uh, in such flux and where literary fiction uh, is, is, doesn't have the place in our culture that it used to. And then finally, Sarah, because I'm a migraine person and I've experienced the pain, but her pain is a great deal. I had to take it to extremes. So I'd say they all three really do, but I, 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 I love the doctor 
again, just because he's he's never going to stop pushing that rock uphill. And I think that's we all have to keep pushing the rock uphill. And we even, as I've said before, have to have reverence for that rock. We have to love our rocks, Galit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a really healthy way to look at it. Yeah. So uh, what are you working on next? Oh, wow. Um, I hope uh, uh, one point of view, not going to be rocking all these different point of views and certainly not going to be writing from the point of view of a neurologist, which I love because through migraine, um, I got into pain science. Uh, I got into obviously brain science um, and even into climate science, because again, the book is very much about this collision of inner and outer weather. A lot of, a lot of climate science in the book. So I hope it's a novel people can learn a lot from. I certainly did. But this next book, One Point of View, very fast, um, kind of a palate cleanser for me. Um, and really taking on some of the, the the ways in which we all are, and again, based on our human natures, can be very tribal. And there was this wonderful commencement speech. I don't know if you saw it by the governor of Illinois for Northwestern. And he was talking about how the the smartest among us are the kindest among us because we're overcoming our natural capacity to to be a little afraid of people different from us, um, to be tribal, to want to, you know, to say this is scary to me. So I'm very much digging into that territory. I'm not going to bring much brain science into it, but just the way in which we each kind of deal with these these really tight silos that we tend to be living in now. And this one woman, I think fairly heroic, who's really going to try to try to fight some of these, 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 this tribalism. Let's see if I succeed. But again, she's a toughie. She's an older woman and it's going to be action packed. I hope I pull it off. Wow. It sounds fascinating. And thank you so much for talking to, to me today. It's been oh, a pleasure. Great. Thank you. You're wonderful. Thanks for doing this for writers. Boy, you are you are a bomb and uh, uh, a remedy and a cure, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you again for joining me. This is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series, and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Amy Grace Lloyd about her new novel, The Pain of Pleasure. Check this channel for more intriguing novels. Happy reading, everyone.